Hello, I'm Father Fred Caldwell, a Catholic priest in McKinney, Texas. And my name is George. I've been studying the Bible and religion all my life. Together, we'll be taking a new and often unexpected look at all things spiritual. And our podcast is named Soul Survivors. Good morning, everyone. We're about to start episode 41. I'm here with Father Fred and Pastor St. James. Father Fred, how did your week go? Well, it was fine. Last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. I went over to where the laborers are in here in McKinney. There's people that just stand around waiting for somebody to hire them, and they're usually Hispanics. And Ash Wednesday, I took over ashes and put them on all of the people that were there to let them know that we're beginning Lent in our church. Also, we had a very good experience. I met some Mormon girls in Walmart and talked to them about there are more than one writer that we've got here. We need to study all of them. And so they invited me, and, and George, you, you and I went. How do you think that went, George? I really enjoyed talking to them. They're very nice people. Yeah, it was interesting to them. And there were three girls there. Two of them are called elders. They're missionaries, Elder Silva and Elder Cunningham. And then we had one girl there who was named Emily. Now, the girls, the ones that are on their missionary trips, they cannot listen to podcasts. But Emily, she does listen to podcasts. And I gave her the name of this podcast, and she said that she would be interested and she'll be listening to it. So, Emily, if you're listening to this, we're glad that you found us and joined us on this podcast. And Sister Silva and Sister Cunningham, same to you if you start listening to this podcast after your mission time is over. And George, what did you do this week? And, and also, Pastor St. James, you might tell us how your week went. My week went really fantastic. My little girl came home on Wednesday, so everything's normal in my house, and God is good. I really like your little girl's name. Would you mind telling us that so we can appreciate it? Her name is Zipporah. Oh, wow. Yep, Zipporah. And how'd you come up with that name? I, I know, but I... I came up with that name because... Uh, seven years before the, my daughter's was born, God gave me all of their names. So Zipporah was the last name, Zion was the first one, and Zariah was the middle child. And there was another child, but we lost that one, and his name would have been Zacharias. That's a beautiful story. And Zipporah was uh, Moses' wife, right? That's right. Actually, she saved Moses' life. God intended to kill Moses because they had a son that was not circumcised. And Sephora got a flint knife and circumcised him, and, and God changed his mind and did not kill Moses. My week went pretty well also. To my surprise, my congregation asked for me to teach my Bible class again to another class, and I'm honored to do so. But I've had several requests from people that can't make it to every Bible class on Sunday because of work or other obligations, and they asked if I would record the Bible class for them. And so after we finish with Genesis on this podcast, we're going to have a few episodes where I record the Bible class for the people who can't listen every Sunday. And it's going to go over some of the same material, but it's going to be completely different. So even if you've listened to these lessons before on chapter one of Genesis, chapter two, etc., I think it's going to be a completely different class. And I think you'll learn a lot. So if you'll give the first one a try, I think you'll see they're completely different and you'll see that it's worth listening to again. And we always learn something every time we go over God's Word. It doesn't matter if we listen to it once or a hundred times, there's always something new to learn. That's right, George. And today 
We are going to have chapter 46 in Genesis. But before we do, let's go back for just a moment and review some of the things that we had in chapter 45. You remember now, Joseph went through all of this trouble because of his, his brothers that didn't like him. So Joseph now is going to make them go through suffering too, and hopefully to get them to repent. This was last week in chapter 45. Joseph is putting his family, his brothers, through a tough time. But you know, we can't make it tough on somebody else without it being tough on ourselves. Because the way we treat others, that's also going to come home to haunt us. So Joseph was also going through this tough time. He finally got to the point where he couldn't even take it any longer. He finally pulled him aside and said, I am your brother, Joseph. Now, you can imagine what they thought. It says they were dumbfounded. They didn't know what to think. And Joseph tells them, now, don't be distressed. I know you've done me wrong. You know you've done me wrong. But don't be distressed about it because, you know, what you intended for bad, God is going to make good. God has making it good right now. Because what happens is, because I got to come here, you're going to be able to have food. You're going to have a place to stay. You're not going to starve anymore. So God really brought me here, I think, rather than than you did. And then he embraced him, and, and he cries. And then he tells him, go get your father. Now, Jacob is back home. Jacob doesn't know yet that Joseph is still alive. So he's going to have a, a real happy surprise. He says, go get your father and bring them back. And he gave them everything for their trip that they would need. And this something strange he said to them, do not quarrel along the way. Now, St. James or George, what do you think that might mean, don't quarrel along the way? Well, one reason is they, you know, they don't want to bring up the past, you know, like who fought it was. It was your ideal. It wasn't my ideal. You know, no, there's no sense of pointing the finger. You know, it's over with now. You know, it's a done deal. Let's move on. I think that's a teaching, too, for us to not be pointing the finger, because there's a saying that I hear in English once in a while. There is some good in the worst person, and there's some bad in the best person. So it's going to make it pretty difficult for us to point to anybody and put the blame on them. Now, anyway, they get home. They're on their way home, and they get home, and they meet their father, Jacob. Now, they know that Joseph is alive. Jacob does not know that Joseph is alive. So when they come in and they tell him, he tells them that his spirit has come to life. It's just like being born again. He sees life. He has been gone now for about 30 years, isn't it, George? About that, yes. About 30 years since he left home. And, and as we were thinking one time, why didn't he ever try to communicate with his daddy? He, he had to know that his daddy was, was hurting, but he never got back to him. But now he's getting back to him and through his brothers, and his spirit is lifted high. I just did a little quick recalculation. It's actually more like 22 years at this point. Okay. It's been a good while. Now, this is what Jacob says. He says, I must go there before I die. You know, we have a bucket list. This would be number one on any bucket list. He thought his son has been. Now, this is his favorite son. Sometimes he's referred to as his only son. He and his little brother, Benjamin. He says, I must go see him before I die. So with that, we can go now to chapter 46. Does anybody have anything that you would like to share before we get to 46? Okay, let's just go to chapter 46. 
Now, 46 is going to have, it's going to be really a a surprise in here. It's going to be a really an explanation, a delineation of the priestly source and the J source. Now, remember, J is the one that would use Jehovah or Yahweh. And this is the one that's going to start out. They're going to be on their way now to Egypt to see their brother Joseph. Verse 1 says, Israel set out with all that was his. Sometimes he's called Israel. Sometimes he's called Jacob. And I was wondering, you know, does anybody have any idea about why he might change from Israel to Jacob or back? Well, I believe when you say Israel, he's referring to what God changed his name, but that's what the, the Spirit of God is talking to him. It's Israel. Okay, that's one idea. Do you have an, any idea, George, or do you think anything about that? I'm also wondering if this has to do with the different sources. So Jacob was the hero of the north, and the writer that came from the north was E. And I'm wondering if whenever E is telling the story, he wants to emphasize that God called Jacob. And so he uses the name Israel. Right. But whenever J is doing the writing, he wants to emphasize that Abraham's more important. So he calls him Jacob instead of Israel. But that doesn't really fit here because J wrote verses 1 and 2 and refers to him as both Israel and Jacob. But... In two, when God is speaking to Israel, God is calling him Jacob and not well, Israel. Unless he's looking at Abraham and Jacob as one. Could be. Okay, still with verse one, we have this. Israel says, I must go there before I die. So in verse one, it says, Israel set out with all that was his. When he arrived at Beersheba, now Beersheba's down the south on their way to Egypt, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Now, sacrifices is not something that God really wants, is it, George? From what I've seen, God never really wanted sacrifices. It was something that the Israelites wanted to do because the nations around them offered sacrifices. They were pagans. They offered sacrifices to their pagan gods, and that's the way they served these pagan gods. Their gods would come down and smell the aroma, and that's the way they would eat. And they have a story about the biblical flood where these gods didn't eat during the time period of the flood. And then whenever in this Mesopotamian story that the person got off the ark, he offered sacrifices. All the gods gathered around and and ate the aroma that was emanating from these sacrifices because they forgot if they destroyed humanity, they wouldn't get to eat. It seems to me that God went ahead and ordained sacrifices for Israel, not because he wanted them, but because the Israelites wanted them. And so God came along and said, all right, if you want to do sacrifices, this is the way I want them done. Just kind of like God never wanted Israel to have kings, but they said we wanted king. And so God said, all right, then I'm going to appoint you a king. And he appointed Saul as the first king. And there's over a hundred verses in the Old Testament that say, I don't want sacrifices. I'm tired of your sacrifices. I want your heart. I want you to worship me with your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. So I think sacrifices are something that God instituted, not because he wanted them, but because the Israelites wanted them. That's a good good uh, definition, George, a good explanation. Also, you know, whenever they got off the ark, the first thing they did was build an altar and they sacrificed animals. Now, it wasn't because they had committed any sins. It wasn't a sacrifice to cover their sins. They offered animals for sacrifices because they liked to eat meat. 
And this is the way they took to, for them to be able to kill an animal. They had to offer it to God, but then they ate the animal themselves. And like we were discussing with our Mormon friends on Thursday, there were two different sources that wrote about Noah and the flood. And what were those two sources, Father Fred? Well, one of them is the priestly source, and one of them is the J source. And you found out the priestly source is about, about sacrifices, didn't you, George? Yeah. The priestly source only wants priests to offer sacrifices in Jerusalem. Jay had no problem with other people offering sacrifices. So the redactor interwove the two stories about Noah between P and J. And if you read carefully, wherever it says Lord, you can take that out and put it together. And then that makes one complete story from the J source. And then if you take out the parts where it says God, that makes one complete story from the P source. In the P source, God is authoritative and there are no sacrifices offered. In the J source, God is personal with Noah and Noah offers sacrifices. When you have time, just go to your computer and ask it, bring up the two biblical stories of the flood. And you'll see two stories side by side. And one of them will say all the way through for the supreme being, it'll be God, 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 God. And on the other one, it will be Lord, 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 Lord. I don't know why the redactor chose to interweave those stories, but he does a really good job given the variety in the stories. And a lot of times people don't even notice that there's two different stories interwoven together. I believe, George, one reason is he wanted it to look like one solid story. If he had to put one story of the flood here and another story by the flood there, and it were two different stories and they were separated, I think it would remind them, sadly enough, that at one time their kingdom had been united. And now this shows that it has become divided, and that would be hurtful for them. I think that's a good thought, but then I'm puzzled as to why there's two different sources of the creation story. In chapter 1, there's one creation story, that's by P. And in the second creation story that starts in chapter 2, that's by J. He kept those creation stories separate instead of combining them, but he combined the sources on the story of Noah. My thinking on that is, in those two stories, there was enough material to have two separate stories. As you read those, you read them as two separate stories, but most people do not see it as two separate stories. He wrote those so well that you can go with them and there's no problem. But if he had written two different stories of the flood, I think there would have been more of a problem there. And you couldn't just write one and not the other because he would satisfy one group, the South, and not the North, or vice versa. So he could put the two stories of creation side by side because they seemed like one seamless story, like chapter two is retelling what happened in chapter one. That's a good way to look at it. Okay, well, we're almost halfway into our podcast, and we're only on verse 2 of chapter 46. <laughs> so we're going to move along now. Okay, I think St. James might want to say something. This is Elder St. James. I think the altar was more important than the sacrifices. And why is that? Because it was, it's the altar is where we bring our hearts to God to reference Him. Right, so the altar represented bringing ourselves Our to God, selves, that's right. and the animal sacrifices were just there to show that we adored God, but God really wants our hearts. If we just offered sacrifices and didn't have our hearts in the right place, it wouldn't matter. Exactly right. Okay, we might as well get on with 46. I'm going to go to verse 2. Uh, now, just in case we've forgotten where we were, I'll, I'm going to go back to verse 1. Israel set out with all that was his. When he arrived at Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. 
And verse 2 says, Their God speaking to Israel in a vision by night called, Jacob, Jacob. And he answered, Here I am. Now, he knows where he is. That just is a phrase that's said over and over. It just means, I'm ready to serve you, God. Verse 3 says, Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you a great nation. Verse 4 says, I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will also bring you back here after Joseph has closed your eyes. So right here, this is God's idea telling him to go down there. But if we look at chapter 45, we read, Enough, said Israel, my son Joseph is still alive. I must go and see him before I die. So one of them is God's idea, one of them is his idea. And if you're a literalist, you will look at that as God endorsing Jacob's idea, not as two different sources. Verse 4 says, I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will also bring you back here after Joseph has closed your eyes. That means you're you're going to go on and die there. Verse 5 says, So Jacob departed from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel put their father and their wives and children on the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to transport them. Verse 6 says, They took with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in the land of Canaan. So Jacob and all his descendants came to Egypt. Right here there is going to be a drastic change. This has been J. It talks about them going down to Egypt. Now it's going to change in verse 7. It's going to start out with all of the people in this family. He's going to be, and it's called a priestly source. It's just giving details. There's no long story like we've been having in J. Verse 7 says, His sons and grandsons, his daughters and granddaughters, all his descendants he took with them to Egypt. Now this is going to be like we will have for the redactor. These are the names of the Israelites, Jacob and his children, who came to Egypt. Here is priestly source. He's just going to give the details. Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, and it lists them. The sons of Simeon, he lists them. The sons of Levi, he lists them. The sons of Judah, the sons of Issachar, the sons of Zebulun. In verse 15, it tells us the sons of Leah were coming with them. The sons of Gad, the sons of Asher, the sons of Zilpah, the sons of Jacob's wife Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. And verse 20, In the land of Egypt, Joseph became the father of Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of Heliopolis, bore to him. Then it lists the sons of Benjamin. The sons that whom Rachel bore to Jacob were fourteen persons. The sons of Dan, the sons of Naphtali, and it lists on them the sons of all of these people. And verse 26 says, Jacob's people who came to Egypt, his direct descendants, not counting the wives of Jacob's sons, numbered 66 persons in all. I have a question. In verse 22, it says, These are the sons whom Rachel bore to Jacob, 14 persons in all. But Rachel only had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. So what does verse 22 mean? I think it means that they had other children that we, that they did not list. I think what it is is the grandsons or the descendants of Jacob. The, grand, the grandsons and great-grandsons through Benjamin and Joseph. Exactly. Okay. 
Okay, thank you for that. Verse 27 says, Together with Joseph's son, who were born to him in Egypt, two persons, all the people comprising the household of Jacob who had come to Egypt amounted to 70 persons in all. Now, here is the interesting part. We had the first six verses were J. Now, right in the middle of it, we've thrown in this, all of this, about the people that are sons of and grandsons of and all of this. That's the priest. Now, verse 28 goes back to J, and it fits exactly with what we had in chapter 46, verse 6. Go back to chapter 46, just to verse 6 for a minute, and it says this. They took with them livestock and possessions they had acquired in the land of Canaan. So Jacob and all his descendants came to Egypt. Verse 28 says, Israel had sent Judah ahead to Joseph so that he might meet him in Goshen on his arrival in the region of Goshen. This verse 28 dovetails in with the first six verses in the chapter. 29 says, Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet his father Israel in Goshen. As soon as Israel made his appearance, Joseph threw his arms around him and wept a long time on his shoulders. So do you see what has happened? This started out as a J story. It started out with the trip that they were going to be making back to Goshen, back to Egypt. But right in the middle of it, the redactor has no other place to put this writings from the priest, or he thinks it's going to fit in there just fine. He separates the first part of J from the second part of J, and when we finish with that P part, we go right back to the J source, and it makes sense going from 1 through 6 and 28 through 29. Father Fred, something I noticed was in verse 28, it says Israel sent Judah ahead. Judah is the fourth-born child from Leah. Why did he send Judah instead of Reuben, which is the first-born child of Leah? Here's a thought on that, George, that Judah is from the south, and the J. Ryder is from the south, so he's going to be writing about something that he's familiar with, something that goes along with his territory and his thinking. So when you say he's from the south, you mean that the tribe of Judah settled in southern Israel? Yes, and sometimes the southern part is called Judah. Right. And so there's Israel is one nation, and then when they split, the northern kingdom is called Israel, and the southern kingdom is called Judah. And so writers from the south would want to emphasize the importance of Judah. So maybe they kind of used Judah as the hero here, or as the one that is taking the lead? They're going to write what they're familiar with, what they're comfortable with. And if Judah is their hero, and Judah's from the south, then yeah. In my notes, I have Jacob sends Judah ahead of the company to let Joseph know that they are coming. He also takes direction to their final destination. It is fitting that Judah was taking the lead to bring Joseph and Jacob back together, and he was the brother most outspoken about selling Joseph into slavery. That is very interesting. We've got a few more verses to finish this chapter. Verse 30 says, And Israel said to Joseph, At last I can die. Boy, he's missed that son all his life. This is the best thing that has ever happened to him, it sounds like. And Israel said to Joseph, 
At last I can die, now that I have seen for myself that you're still alive. That could be the best thing that could ever happen. He's just out of his mind with joy. Verse 31 says, Joseph then said to his brothers and his father's household, I will go up and inform Pharaoh, telling him, My brothers and my family's household, whose home is in the land of Canaan, have come to me. He's telling them that they have just now come. But back in chapter 45, in verse 16, we have this. The news reached Pharaoh's house. Joseph's brothers have come. They're there already in chapter 45, verse 16. So we've got the same story being told twice. In chapter 45, we find out in verse 16 that the news reached Pharaoh's house. Joseph's brothers have come, and the Pharaoh and his officials were pleased. As we have different sources, we have things repeated from one place to another. In this one, in chapter 46, verse 31 says, Joseph then said to his brothers and his father's household, I will go up and inform Pharaoh, telling him that my brothers and my father's household, whose home is in the land of Canaan, have come to me. They already knew that back in chapter 45. We're bouncing from E to J. Who wrote chapter 45, verse 16? J source. So who wrote this one? E source. If you have the E source, whenever you see that, it probably means it's repeating something that's in the J source. If you just see it one time, it's most likely the J source. And E is just something that is repeating it according to his own manner of thinking. Verse 32, and we're getting close to the end. The men are shepherds, having been owners of livestock, and they brought with them their flocks and herds, as well as everything else they own. So when Pharaoh summons you and asks you your occupation, it's going to be this. You must answer, like our ancestors have been owners of livestock from our youth. Now, he tells them to say that, but in chapter 47, we're going to find they don't say it. He says, tell them this. Until now, in order that you may stay in the region of Goshen, since all shepherds are abhorrent to the Egyptians. Why would the shepherds be abhorrent to the Egyptians, George? The Egyptians had many gods. Two of the primary gods were Amun, A-M-U-N. He was the god of creation. And the other one was Ra, R-A. He was the god of the sun. Somewhere along the line, they decided that Amun and Ra were one god, and so they renamed him to Amun Ra, and Amun Ra had the head of a ram. So rams and sheep were, I don't know if they were sacred, but they were highly esteemed animals to the Egyptians. And they had those animals, but they used them mainly for wool and milk. They didn't eat them. The Israelites took these important animals and sacrificed them and ate them, and that was abhorrent to the Egyptians. It's not that they hated shepherds, it's that they hated what they did to the animals, because those animals were very important to the Egyptians. And you think maybe that would be the reason for them to live apart? Yeah, they didn't want to see them eating mutton. And if you remember, whenever Joseph's brothers ate with Joseph, Joseph ate by himself, his brothers ate by themselves, and Joseph's attendants ate by themselves. So nobody wanted to eat with anybody because of their dietary choices. So I have a question. In chapter 45, verse 20, which is written by Jay, Pharaoh says, Do not concern yourselves with your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. 
And then in 46, we just read that they brought all their possessions. So I wonder why that is. George, that's something that I've thought of, and I don't really have a, an answer for it. Maybe later I'll think of something. All right. Well, if any listeners have any ideas, feel free to leave comments on the show. There should be a field where you could leave a comment in the show notes of this podcast, whether you're on Apple or Spotify. Well, Father Fred and Pastor St. James, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for being here today. And I want to thank you also. And George was saying that if you happen to have a comment, there's a place for a comment. Write a comment there, whether it's what you agree with or whether you don't agree with it. We enjoy listening to hear what you have to think. God bless everybody. Talk to you next week.